Hi everyone, I'm Riley Blanks, your hostess and the creator of Woke Beauty, a storytelling platform reimagining the everyday act of self-celebration for and by all women. This show brings you unfiltered conversations with a dynamic myriad of female visionaries who have developed personal success despite trauma and hardship by leaning into grit and discernment. We explore the messy interwoven realities of mental health, holistic wellness, intricate family dynamics, racial complexity, and the exceptional discoveries that lead to fulfillment. This is our pledge to the power of resilience and the impact of perspective. Haitian by birth and an artist at heart, Paola Mate uses her inspiring style to encourage others to live unapologetically. In her formative years, the self-taught photographer nurtured the dream of living within full creative expression, and upon moving to New York City, Paola began chronicling her adventures with bold colors and style on lifestyle blog Finding Paola. Producing statement-making outfits has earned Paola features in many online and print publications such as The New York Times, Vogue, A Cup of Joe, New York Magazine, and Essence.com. However, it is Mate's flair in shaping important narratives around identity, culture, womanhood, and beauty that have made her the center of campaigns for Gap and L'Occitane as a champion of self-love. In 2014, Paola launched Famjam, a collection of head wraps and popular lifestyle brand meaning strong woman in Haitian Creole. She regularly touches on the proud Haitian heritage that initiated her love affair with color and delivered a TEDx talk aptly named sharing my colors with the world at her alma mater, Drew University. Paola lives in Austin, Texas with her husband, Tyler, and daughter, Zuli. I am honored to know her, and it brings me great joy to share this compelling, intimate conversation that illuminates her beautiful mind. I've been recording because everything you say is important. <laughs> um but I, oh, I can. See I'm gonna. It now. Yeah, I just started it because you said something great, and I was like, "Dang, I should have recorded that." Um, so maybe there'll just be a random like five minutes of you just proliferating on life. <laughs> you do so much, and um, it's it's overwhelming. Um, <laughs> I know I don't have children, and I I know it can be overwhelming. So, um, I'm really curious how you like have an equilibrium. But for now, we'll just talk about your life. Paola, where were you born? And how do you identify with that place? I was born in in Haiti. Um, I was born in this little suburb and the capital. And it was just my world. I didn't understand how the world existed outside of that place. Um. I just knew that I lived in a big family house with my mom, my little brother. We had some servants. Um, it sounds weird to say that. Um, but but it's different abroad, right? It's very different. And I went to Catholic yeah. school and our school uniforms and our socks and our hair had to be pristine every single day. It felt as if you were getting graded on these things as well. So I feel like my childhood memories are the most vivid part of my life. There are things that happened last week that I, it's hard for me to remember or recall, but there are so many things about my childhood I remember. And I wonder if it's because I tried to hold on to that period of my time, of my life um, so much, just because so much has happened things that I really never would have imagined have happened in my life. And I've had so many different stages. It almost feels like I've lived many lives before, you know, and, and sometimes I go back and I wonder, you know, those distant memories or those uh, precious little uh, thoughts or things about my childhood, I wonder if they were a dream, if that was really me, you know? Um, but I would 
I would also like to add that I was just really, really shy. I remember my mom <laughs> used to always get on my case about how shy I was and how hard I I was so shy I couldn't make eye contact with people, but also I wouldn't stand up straight because I've always been tall. So I tried to really lower myself so I could blend in and fit with everyone. And then I, I remember as soon as I could read, <laughs> like truly read, I would just like lose myself in all these books I wasn't allowed to read. And maybe those books were the reason I thought I would never have a partner in life because most of them always had the woman be the most submissive character. And, you know, these strong men would always be in the picture. And I remember rolling my eyes when I was just like nine years old. And I was like, well, if this is life, I'm just going to be the single woman. You know, <laughs> it was so interesting just thinking about that as a child. There are parts of my childhood that made me grow up faster than I should have. And then for a while, I feel like once I maybe I don't even know if I escaped those things. But once I found a way to maybe heal or move on, there are parts of me that also try to hold on to my innocence, if that makes sense. Because I know for sure, when people were saying things about me being confident, for a while, I wasn't until I realized I was, you know, it was just like, maybe I was just, you know, get putting myself in situations where I didn't feel comfortable. And I definitely didn't feel confident doing them. But after I did them and survived, and I put myself in more situations, and then I started getting used to putting myself in situations that made me uncomfortable, then they don't really bother me as much. <laughs> You know, um, and I feel like yeah. th that's different than putting on a bright red lipstick and putting on a loud outfit because I've always put on loud outfits before I felt confident. Even moving here, moving the company me here means that I'm really kind of moving here for a while. I kind I felt like I just had my foot here, you know, um, and Austin is yeah. very different from New York your opportunities are there for you if you open your eyes to see them, you know, mm -hmm. and because there are many, there are so many things about my growth that I feel like I had to, not because I was given or something was there and it was obvious. I just had to go and open my eyes and see them you know, from moving my company from my little studio apartment to an actual space, I, it wasn't even an office space. It was just a corner of a vintage shop. I was like, you guys look like you have the space. Can I do kind of like a sublease thing? You know, I just wrote the agreement myself. Um, and it worked out because I knew I couldn't afford a place of my own. Right. And but they never said they never had an opening it was just something that I saw and thought maybe it could work out um so for me I don't know I, I think in general things work out um and things work out and you become more successful when things are not that obvious right it's kind of like you have to see the potential and something it's not already there for you what would you say out of everything that's happened in your life what occurrence surprised your imagination the most? Yeah, in the beginning, you said something, and I feel like it just kept coming up. You said that, like, you talked about being a shy girl, and you talked about your childhood and how you've kind of been able to translate into this, you know, bright, confident person, oftentimes by choice, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that there were things that surprised you, things that you could never have imagined would happen to you, and they just continuously happened. Honestly, I feel like that's go ahead. I think everything, so many things, things as simple as going to college have surprised me. I didn't think it would happen for me just because just the just because the way my life shifted so dramatically from I feel like I had a very privileged life 
and Haiti, it wasn't perfect, but when you're looking at the state of our country, it was a very privileged childhood. Um, and then I move to Newark, New Jersey with my family. And we come from living in a two-story house with people cooking for us, doing our laundry, to a one-bedroom apartment. It's a family of four in a one-bedroom apartment, right? And that was a big change, right? Um, and then all the luxuries that you once knew were no longer there. And then there were just a bunch of new things piled on top of that, right? I just remember my first week in school, these two students got in this huge fight. One of them threw a desk and broke my math teacher's arm. And I couldn't believe that was happening because I'm from this culture where the students obey the teachers and the teachers are also allowed to discipline you and even beat you like with rulers, with belts, with anything, even embarrass you. Whereas here, the students would stand up to the teachers and they would get into fist fights. Maybe not in your school, but in the school I went to. So I'm looking around like, this is insane. <laughs> this is happening. And then I remember my high school career was very interesting. Uh, I was still very shy and I was a new girl and I didn't speak. I, I didn't come here speaking English already. So I had to learn how to speak it. And the library, the librarian became Mr. Kane became my my friend, my best friend. I used to just get all the books. And and um, so I was just shy girl at the library all the time until I got in trouble. One morning, I challenged my English teacher to actually teach us because we were in 11th grade and we were playing Uno every single day in the classroom. And I remember this teacher, it's kind of weird because there are a lot of teachers I don't remember. I try really hard to remember. But this one was one of the strangest teachers I've ever had. She was a very attractive blonde woman. <laughs> and she was from this, I guess, suburban neighborhood. And to me, when I think of her, even when I was 15, when I was in her class, I always imagined her going back home to where her family was talking about all the poor black kids she taught because every morning she came in the class, she always had a story about her neighborhood and how her husband's, her husband um, rescued a squirrel and what her dad did. I think her husband actually maybe was in law enforcement or whatever it was. But to me, she was more interested in being liked by the students versus teaching them and caring for their future. So because she became the teacher who came with her stories from her beautiful life and all just let us play whatever we wanted or watch whatever we wanted, she became a favorite. But I knew that I've had enough. So I went up to her and I asked her if she could teach us now. And she said, excuse me? I said, well... Some of us want to go to college and it's it's weird because I went to a vocational technical school because I didn't think I would go into college. I thought I would learn a trade and then go to work right after. And that's that was kind of like my backup plan. But the more I read and the more I started dreaming, the more I started thinking that college wasn't really this impossible thing, like it could possibly happen if I tried, but the whole process was scary. My uh, guidance counselor told me not to apply to college because people like me wouldn't get in and it would be better for me to move to New York and become a model. So it's not like wow. I had people pushing me to go to college, right? Or to go to a school or any decent school. And if I did want to go and there's nothing wrong with community colleges. Maybe I would have done, if I knew about student loans, maybe I would have gone to a community college first and then transferred. But anyway, um, or, and, and the other teacher told me that, you know, definitely a community college, I shouldn't try a four-year university at all. 
And I was one of the top three students in my school, you know, without even trying because some of the teachers weren't teaching. Um, so I think the best thing that happened to me was getting in trouble that day because I, I met my vice principal and she was the person who truly helped me get to college. I get to her office and I'm clearly still very shy. And she's probably like, this girl, why did they send her to my office? Because she's like, hey, sit down. And I'm just like sitting there with my hands in my lap and I'm looking around. She offers me candy. I decline. And she tells me to tell me to tell her my side of the story. And I swear, before that day happened, no adult has ever asked me for my side of the story before. I felt like people never cared about my side of the story. So I told her, I just kept going. I, and I, I told her about wanting more. And she listened, you know. Um, and then immediately we became close. Uh, I started working for her, organizing. <laughs> she was not the neatest person. So I was organizing her office. I was helping monitor detention. Yeah, I was one of those children. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was, you know, I was there always trying to learn and understand how life was outside of Newark because my view of the world in Haiti was so limited. And then in Newark, it was even more limited. And I was already in the States, which was crazy. And I remember in high school, I had this friend from Nigeria and we used to go to this local pizzeria. It was not a sit down place. You just go, you get your dollar slice and you leave. But we used to get a slice and there was still kind of like, the, I think around the corner, there was a, a, a table and two chairs. I don't even think it was part of the pizzeria, but we, we used to sit there and our dream was, we used to say, one day we will be sitting at cafes in New York eating meals. Like that was a dream. <laughs> like one day we will be sitting on the sidewalk to eat and it will be lovely, you know? Like to me, that was still like so beyond anything I could do then, right? So when I look at my life, you know, and I actually go to a nice school, you know, that's where I meet my husband. I go back to the school to do a TED Talk. To me, that just like, I feel like, how does that happen? But it did, right? Very deep. And I love the way that you process your thoughts. What characteristics, what characteristics did you use to get to where you are? Like your lowest lows, what did that require? I think the thing that got me out of my lowest lows <laughs> was just patience with myself. Because I really don't think anything can happen overnight. And I feel like I've been a beginner at so many things that I'm really passionate about. And maybe I'll never see myself as an expert or someone who knows much about some of those things or many of those things. But I feel like giving myself time and patience to grow has really allowed me that growth versus just completely giving up and, and not seeing it. It's funny what you said, how like sometimes you just have to let it go. Like yeah. you process it, you process it, you think about it and you're like, all yeah, right, I just gotta right, let it go. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes like, that's like why that's are you part so of it. far in here? Like, all right. Right. Okay. Pull yourself out. Right. So um so you defy a lot of societal norms, um, from Famjam, even like I feel like even color, wearing color is seen as this like bold act. You know, I think mm -hmm. on the on the surface, it's it's kind of basic, like it's just color, color right. everywhere. Right. But mm -hmm. but we elevate it to this like other realm. Um, yeah. So there, there's just kind of these different aspects of your style, your brand, your business that are an exception, exceptional and an exception. How do you deal with criticism around that? Because I imagine that there there is some I know there's mm -hmm. a lot of. Um, People are inspired. There's a lot of praise, but always on the side of that, oh, yeah. there are people shaking their head, right? Yeah, from from the very beginning. And to me, I feel like I I actually really appreciate criticism because I felt like if all I got was praise, I would probably get too comfortable. Although knowing me, probably not, probably not. But um, I always welcome the right kind of criticism. Um, 
just because I really see myself as someone learning as much as possible. And there are times you think you are right or like you're doing the right thing and then someone views it as another way. And it's interesting to listen to them, whether that person is right or not, right? And to me, I feel like I go through different moods when it comes to color. My wardrobe in general is very colorful, but I think I've gotten better at using color over the years. Before, I just liked color because I felt like they're a way of me speaking to the world without really having to open my mouth. I could just show up and maybe they represented something. Um, I think I, I, when I was younger, when I was telling you, I was trying to fit in like in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, because I was tall. There was a period of my life where I felt like I didn't want to blend in anymore. I wanted to stand out. And that was through... Uh, definitely not through middle school because I was still wearing school uniform, but through high school, uh, from shaving my head to wearing my hair natural before the natural hair movement really started and getting made fun of, right? That was bold. Um, and also from growing out my fro and dyeing it red, I don't really recommend that. At least I look back <laughs> and I was like, okay. I can't you know? see that look on you. <laughs> I oh, I've had that. many looks. I had like a time where I was telling Renee, you've met Renee. Yeah, you've met Renee. Um, yeah. I was telling her I had like a summer in high school where I wore, not even high school, it was college. Oh my God. Where I wore mm-hmm. collared contacts. Oh, we've come a long way. And I wonder why. Wow. I remember what my color? dad. They were like a honey hazel, but huge mistake. Oh no. Just because <laughs> back then people said People said I was cute, but when I look back at the photos, no, absolutely not. And I think I was with Tyler through those times because his hair was down here. We went through a lot of transformations. Um, but those colors, I remember being I remember being called uh, Skittles in high school because I would wear those orange tights. And, you know, it was back when um, baby fat and Timberland boots were in style. So everyone had Timberlands. I did have a pair at some point, but I wanted to style it a different way. So people were like, okay, you're weird. We're going to call you Skittles and that's it. Right. And I think it was just me trying to say, okay, I've had enough. I don't want to be what you think I am anymore. And especially because Newark was so different from my life in Haiti in Haiti, everyone wants you to behave in this very, I don't know, they just want you to assimilate. And the darker you are, the more soft-spoken you should be, you know, and the more, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm raised by Catholic nuns. Um, you have all these white nuns teaching the school. So, you know, you, you would be told how to behave and it had to be in a very different way than how kids were behaving in Newark. I love to put colors together that you wouldn't expect to go well together. Like sometimes you could put some neutrals and you have a pop of color, or sometimes you put these earthy, rich tones together and you add something else. I like playing with that. And I think that's what I started trying to do with Fumjum and a lot of things that I do, like even the music video I directed, color was really intentional for me. And I didn't try to get creative in terms of like the color mixing, but the different scenes, all of the colors in them were very intentional. Um, And now I can appreciate neutrals and blacks and whites because I also understand texture and I understand a a lot of different elements that actually make something richer than just, you know, the color, right? So um, I kind of like that. I would say progression of how I see color. Yeah, I think I think you allow the colors to like speak for themselves. You know, like you might curate them and put them together, but then you let them tell the story. And I feel like when it comes to um skin and even like the way you edit, there's a lot of dimensionality, you know? Like mm-hmm. there's so you can see through the image. It's mm-hmm. not flat, you know. Right. Um which is very common with our skin color. Um We know this to be true. 
This episode is in partnership with Camille Styles, an online publication for everyone who aspires to a life well-lived. Every day, Camille Styles provides engaging storytelling and imagery to inspire the pursuit of your passions on the path to creating the best version of yourself. This week, my series, Beyond Skin Deep, is launching on CamilleStyles.com as a visual representation of the Woke Beauty podcast. The column features stories from creators, makers, and community shapers who seamlessly bridge holistic health, authentic inclusivity, conscious artistry, and a unique path to healing and restoration. The best stories are told across the spectrum. Here you hear her, there you see her. To read more on Paola's story and to see our vivid portraits taken under an Austin sunset, visit CamilleStyles.com. But I really want to know, actually, I've, I've really wanted to personally know how you have defined your style in your photography and in your art. How have you developed continuity? Like, you clearly have a thing for flowers, right? And color and um, spending time outside in a way that's purposeful and thoughtful. Like your, your, your brand, when you post something, even if it's dynamic, even if it's new, it's like, oh, yeah, that's Paolo, you know? Well, how did you get there? Thank you. I mean, I think in general, I love reading books, let's say by Chimamanda or even Zadie Smith. I feel like if I start reading them, I'll probably kind of like understand that it's them, right? Because they I have, have to. This- that's so crazy. I'm sorry. I have to cut, cut you off really quick. I was going to read you a quote by Zadie Smith and ask <laughs> you to so speak funny. to the quote. I got to read it now. I was going to save it for later, but I'm going to read it really quick because it reminds me of you. So the quote says, I am seized by two contradictory feelings. There is so much beauty in the world. It is incredible that we are ever miserable for a moment. If you have children, put it on pause. There is so much shit in the world that it is incredible. We are ever happy for a moment. And I feel like you've talked about that, right? And it's relevant to your brand and to the art that you make. You see beauty everywhere, but you also acknowledge and recognize that there's pain. I have so to. I just want to throw that in there and then you can you can take it and run. <laughs> yeah, no, I have to. And and I have also um a few times in my life I've been accused of just only seeing beauty and that's not true at all. Um I've definitely lived ugliness. Like lived it firsthand and I see it. But also beyond that, I feel like there's so much light and so much hope and so much beauty. And I just remember even this is a very simple example. Um, I was walking to my office in Harlem and our office was at this part that is just older Harlem. And it's on this also it's on this block where there are a lot of different clinics and um, that work with homeless people and people who suffer from drug abuse. So they're also just random guys lurking around different corners. And so it's not the prettiest side of town um, because I love Harlem. At some point, I think a few people have told me that I've inspired them to move there. And then I moved to Austin. I feel so bad about that. Um, (laughs) But I, I used to live in you know, Southwest Austin, Harlem, um, on 113th Street, three blocks from Central Park. And that block was super gentrified. And within three blocks, you'll find three coffee shops, maybe four. There was a flower shop with Yugo Studio, like all right there. And then, you know, you walk 10 blocks north and then you walk three blocks east and then you're in a completely different world. So every time I would walk under this overpass on 125th Street, you would see all kinds of things. You know, the smell of urine, You there literally would be feces on the floor. I remember this one morning I was walking past and, you know, it smelled terribly. There was just so much that was just like, I was like focusing on like the guy sitting over there, the woman yelling at you know, someone cursing at someone, it was cold and I'm walking. 
And then my eye went on, I don't know if it was just like one little flower or like petals of flower. And immediately my mood was lifted. And I was just like, it is a beautiful world. I don't know. Like it was so, and I remember, I just remember that morning being, I don't know why I'm so mindful about these moments where my mind or my mood changes from one thing where I'm really picking at all the things that are wrong. Um, And then all of a sudden my mind clicks and I go, oh, well, this is nice. Okay, this is good. It's so important because we can really be sucked in into all of the negative things. And that's all we can see. And I've lived with people and I've been around people who only see negative things. And it's really hard to get out of if you don't look at the bright side sometimes, because then your life just becomes that. And then even when things start looking brighter, you won't even notice it. Like, I would say one of the darkest times in my life was when I had Zuli. It like my birth story. I mean, I, I haven't talked about it. I thought I would write a post about it because I feel better about it now was the complete opposite of what I would ever imagine. And then when she was born, she spent like three months in the NICU. And so the whole time I was there, the nurses were taking her care of her more than I was. So for a while, I didn't think she would know who her mom it was. So every time I went to see her, I would go, hi, I'm your mom. <laughs> and the nurses would go, she knows who you are. Trust me. But I couldn't tell because, you know, sometimes I would walk in and a random volunteer would be holding her. And, you know, she had so many scents and people around her. And also she was so underdeveloped and so tiny. Right. And she was she was so fragile. And and I remember the first time the nurse asked me if I wanted to give her a bath. I was like, oh, no, nope, you can do it yourself. I can't. She's too small. And then I remember feeling so useless as a mom. I remember thinking your body wasn't even good enough to give child full term to a baby. And now you won't even take responsibility to bathe your own child because you're scared, you know? And then those days were really dark because I was really tough on myself. And you can really... And it's hard to get out of that unless you decide to see the brighter side of things. And other things that made it really difficult was that it was impossible for me to breastfeed. (laughs) Like literally my pregnancy, I was like, I will be doing all of the things when I'm pregnant until I give birth. We will be listening to music when I give birth because that's just how it's going to be. And then I'm going to breastfeed until however long I want because that's just how things will be. And then things happened in a completely different way. And then I wasn't ready. And I feel like time and patience with myself, just listening to my thoughts have really helped me. And that those dark times where I was focusing on all the things I can do or provide. um, And then one day I decided to like come up with a song for her and I was singing it for her. And I was like, well, maybe these are the flower petals next to, you know, the homeless person and the smell of urine. Right. It's kind of like I feel like if you go through your life only looking at the bad things, because there are so many bad things in the world. Every single day, my heart is broken by news and And those, that's the news that, you know, those are the stories that I've read, not the stories I haven't even heard of, because there is a lot. But also you can go outside and be amazed at what grows from the ground, you know, or be amazed by the people around you and how they are and the little things that makes humanity special or like that makes life worth living. Because then without mm-hmm. those things, what's the point? Yeah. Right? How did you heal from your from your pregnancy um, and from giving birth? Like spiritually too, not just physically. What did that what did that require from you? And how how did you do that? If if you were already so depleted energetically, it sounds like it took a lot out of you. Where did you find the strength to heal? Maybe a lot of the strength came from Zuli, 
maybe I didn't have a choice but to have the strength because she's there. When she got home, I was I had to step up, you know. Yeah. And she was already doing so many things that represented love. Although she couldn't speak, you could I could tell that she loved me, you know, the way she grabbed me and the way she knew my smell. She knew who I was and I felt like that really helped me. Um I really do believe kids have a way of healing, although, you know, she's at the time right now where screaming no is her favorite thing. <laughs> That's just how it is. Toddlers are not reasonable beings, so they take a lot of patience. <laughs> um, but, you know, she's very sweet. Um, yeah, she's and, so sweet. Yeah, I think, I think sometimes you don't have the choice, but to get out of something. Um, And also I really do think that time played a great role because for a while I just didn't want to talk about it or think, I mean, it was hard not to think about it because I was just replaying like my, like when they were rolling my bed into the operating room, I kept replaying those, you know, a couple of hours over and over in my mind. And then I was just like, this was so terrifying and traumatic. And then I look at her now and I think there are things that happen to you and you're thinking, was that really, did that really happen? <laughs> you know, um, because it's, it's very fresh. It would be hard for me to not remember that. Um, you know, and she also, I think the first time she's ever seen me like cry, cause I don't even like crying out loud like I do it very silently um but when uh, my friend passed away and I got the phone call her sister called me and I was having one of those great days and and she facetimed me and I was holding Zuli and she was like you may want to put Zuli down for this and I was just like what like all right fine and in my mind I knew something was wrong but I just refused to for it to be that right and I don't know what came out of my, I don't know. I think the scream just came out of my body without my brain completely like registering what was happening. And I'm happy she told me to put her down because I probably would have dropped her. And Zuli, I guess she's never seen me like that before. And I, honestly, neither have I, because I still like also replay that scene. And I'm just thinking about what came over me. Um, which makes sense because I think about my friend every day, but um, she started crying so hard and she was just like, mama. And, and my brother was there and had to like take her away. And I could hear her just bawling upstairs. It was kind of like, she felt my pain, which was unreal, you know? And I do remember when I was younger, whenever my mom was crying, I would definitely cry too. It was just like this thing. But I didn't realize that it would happen with her being so young, you know? Um, And I was just like, all right, I got to pull myself together. I got to pull myself together. And it's funny because that happened a few months before her second birthday. And then every now and then she'll tell me, She'll say her name and then she'll go, Mama, cry. And then she'll say my friend's name, which which is like insane. I don't know how long she'll remember it, but she remembered that day. And she's wow. two years old, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like just kind of like her her love and her being there. I don't know if like things would have been different if I would have been able to pull myself out if things turned out differently. Um, like I told you, it's really difficult to be a mother with a premature child because once they get out of the hospital, they have a lot of doctor's appointments. Not only do they have to go to a regular doctor, they have to go to a special clinic and then they have to see all these therapists. Like your life literally becomes like this, the scheduler, you know, and, you know, as the mom, everyone wants to talk to you. They forget that the child has a dad, right? And um, 
and it's overwhelming. And then the, the specialists would come in, the therapists would come in and they would say, okay, we're going to pl play with them for an hour or work with them. But then this is your homework to make sure that she does this or else this could happen or else this could happen. You know, how are you balancing, you know, Zuli is everything to you. I know she's so I like your connection is, I know there is a connection between mother and child, like always undeniable, but you have a very special relationship with her, like kind of this unseen, I don't know. And I, when you were talking about how she related to you when you were so upset, it made me think of you describing yourself as a little girl. Like she was mature enough as a two-year-old, almost two-year-old to see your pain and feel it so deeply that she empathized to the point of crying herself, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a lot to take on. And you also have a business and you have a husband and you have to take care of yourself. How do you balance all of that? Where do you find time to nourish yourself? And how do you run not only Femjum, but your own like enterprise? Um, I think in the beginning, I was really trying to find balance with everything. Um, but to me, I like I really like challenging myself. <laughs> because it keeps me on my toes. I, I feel alive when I am. I mean, sometimes I do feel like, you know what, I'm, I just need to take a nap. I'm tired of this. Um, but I feel like once you figure things out, um, it, it feels really good. And also, I think, to me, it's very rewarding, because I didn't have a path, and I didn't have a mentor or someone to teach me how to go. And I remember always thinking, um, you don't have to take the main road. The side roads are cool too. And I always used to, and, and that's how I used to really try to get lost in New York, even how fine Paola was. Instead of taking this road or this street that everyone's taking, what's on these side streets? And I would find the coolest things, the coolest houses, you know? And I really think it's an interesting philosophy to have. Like having this specific blueprint doesn't always mean success or, or even, I mean, we all define success different ways, <laughs> honestly. But to me, it's really how happy I am with things at the end of the day without anyone looking at me, without any lights shining on me, just me with myself. How do I feel? So what is, as like just a human creating as just Paula, what is your vision for yourself? What are your dreams? My dreams? I just want to um, make sure that the earlier versions of myself, and those are a lot of, there are a lot of little girls like me out there, never feel some of the struggles I've had to face or never have to face them in order for them to create their own paths. I kind of wish, I really wish that um, I find a way to create more opportunities for a lot of young Black creative women. Because to me, I feel like being a creative person not only does it influence the world, right? It helps us escape creativity as a whole, art as a whole. Like, art helps us escape. Without art, we would be in shambles right now, you know, without music, without visual, any, you know, storytelling, without any of that. And a lot of Black women and Black little girls, especially from where I'm from, their creativity is not taking ser taken seriously. Their dreams aren't you know, they're not even talked about. And if they could, if I could find a way for them to not even have to be brave, but to just decide to do something and they had have an opportunity to do it without, you know, feeling completely lost. And of course, my dream is to create the best possible world that I could for Zuli. Um, because I do think when you're raised with kindness and love and you're given opportunities and you can still see the truth in how things are, you can be a good person who can also help people. Um, 
because I don't think life should just be about us and and our families and just kind of like, okay, so I want a good life. I just want my family to be good. I think we should want our our neighborhood to be good, our community and our world to be good, right? And there are so many different ways to approach that. It's tough choosing. How do you become a good citizen and help the world? You know, you could choose a lot of different things, right? People choose animal rights and people choose the environment. And obviously we should all do things that can make a difference in all of those different fields and, and, and issues that we care about. But to me, I really want to offer more opportunities for young black girls um, who look like me, um, for them not to doubt themselves as much as I have had. Um, because doubt is so crippling sometimes. You know, when you don't have the support system that you need, it's really hard to succeed. It's really hard to see things. And yesterday I wrote something on my caption about um, launching a lipstick with Fluxitan. And I said something like, I would be lying if I said this was a dream of mine. It really had never occurred to me that I would launch a lipstick with a global company because why would that be my dream? I was never, you know, I didn't think it would be possible ever. Not that I'm not worthy, not that I don't deserve it, not that I'm not talented enough. It just never occurred to me. Even when um, Pamjam started getting the attention of a lot of people and I was in my little tiny office in Harlem and I get an email from the New York Times that they wanted to feature me. I was just like, how, how do they know me? Like, because to me, I thought girls like me just created their own paths they were never given anything and no one cared about them. And that shouldn't be the case. I would also say that I have accomplished a lot of my dreams and things like I, like I said, I wouldn't even dare dream of. I told you when I was younger, I didn't think I'd have a partner. And then I started really romanticizing that idea that I would just be traveling the world. <laughs> Every now and then I'll fall in love, but no, no one... <laughs> You know, you had to find the beauty in the concept. You it was know? <laughs> very interesting. Um, I think life is just so full of surprises. And sometimes, um, you know, I've never had dreams where I would be on the cover of a magazine or own a multi-million dollar. It's just never I just want to live a good life. I want to speak at this um, center for young women in Haiti. And I was telling them about what I do. And I could tell when I was sitting on that, um, when I was sitting there near the mic before I even spoke, they were all looking at me and looking around at each other. And they were wondering, why is this woman here talking to us? Like she is important because she looks just like us, right? Like I was just there with my little fro or maybe I had a head wrap on actually. And they were just like, is she someone important? Because I mean, she looks like me. Can she be important? Right. And not that I think of myself as important, but I was there to speak with them. And I remember telling them what I do. And um, and of course, they can't really envision it because I remember being a little girl in Haiti. Your world is just your world. You can't envision past that. But I was trying my heart, my hardest. And I asked them, I said, can you think of any strong women in your life? And why are they um, strong? And one little girl raised her hand and she must have been around five or six. And she said, I would say that the strong woman in my life is my mom. And she's strong um, because she did not get rid of me when I was in baby, a baby and threw me in a ditch. I mean, I'm really grateful I got the opportunity to meet them and see them because like I was telling you, I, I'm trying to hold on to younger me so much. And I feel like it's been so long ago that all of these things have changed until I go back to like a school or, you know, a community center and things haven't really changed that much. I just, in my mm -hmm. mind, it has because I'm progressing or I'm growing and I'm going different places, right? Well, you're okay. an example of the change that can happen, you know? <laughs> so, but I remember I used to live in Florida, in Southern Florida, near Miami. And I volunteered at this charter school um, for after school daycare. I was like one of the people that went in to help take care of the kids who had parents that worked late. And I was like 15. 
And uh, at the time I wasn't in school, I was training to be a professional tennis player. And, you know, I had my own stuff going on, but going to see those kids was like the highlight of my day. And I, you know, developed relationships with a few of them. And at one point I mentioned to my dad, who at the time I was living in Florida with my mom and my sister, and he was like in and out because his job took him all over. And I, I mentioned him like in passing to one of the kids. And these were like nine-year-olds, you know, really like little kids. And she was like, you're friends with your dad? And I remember I felt so guilty. I felt so bad that I knew my dad and I was close to him and she wasn't. And I've had that experience, like even with my own friends over and over again, just the mere fact that I have a solid relationship with my dad. And um, yeah, that was kind of like my first like wake up call to the privilege in having that figure in my life, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, beyond like anything else that that can take you so far. Right. And so um, you know, and obviously no relationship is perfect and right. we all have had our battles, but I, I look at that, like it's gold, you know? And, and so I understand in that way, just like this deep desire to alter a system and to give kids like hope, you know, um, that they can have what you have, um, or that they can be, somebody or something, even if they can never have what you have, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that's really deep and it just shows sort of like, you know, there's like a lot of charity and selflessness in what you do and wanting to pass it on, not only to like your own, your own child, but to other children around the world. You know, I remember one of my greatest struggles growing up was not knowing my biological father. And I think I met him when I was 26 or 27 Um, one of my cousins invited me to my grandmother's funeral and that's when I got to meet him. Um, Mm. And so that was very interesting because I felt like I'd been waiting for that moment all my life. And then when it finally happened, it wasn't this huge event that I thought it was going to be because I felt like I ended up being more of the, I don't want to say the grown up in the scenario, but I was just, I just understood. I mean, I still have questions, but I feel like also when I met him, I was already feeling so full with my life. Like I didn't feel like a lot was missing because I was in love. I, I don't know, graduated school. I felt like I was in a stage in my life where, um, I didn't feel like I was missing anything really. And I think with me, Um, knowing that I didn't have him in my life, I did have a father figure. My mother did remarry. Right. And, and that person was the, he brought me into the States, you know, with my mom and my little brother, he didn't have to, and he's always been my father. You know, he's always been there through, um, he's Zuli's grandfather, (laughs) like, you know, and, um, but he, He's also, like you said, no relationship is perfect, but I think having that father figure around, or he is my father, it's, it would probably be hurtful if you listened to this and I just called him a father figure because he is. Um, but growing up, it was really important to me to understand and to, to find out where I really came from, you know, because at some point it was thrown in my face and I, I thought I was, you know, my father's child and it turned out I wasn't and I was just like who am I then right Mm. and um and also I'm like much taller than him so people would ask all the time (laughs) they're like oh those are your parents they're both not (laughs) tall and here you are (laughs) (laughs) that was like now I find humor in it but um but then I wouldn't explain I would just go yeah those are my parents I don't know I'm weird you know I just got tall um But um, it was just very eye-opening to just see him because he was just this mystery, right? I just feel like I have so much to be grateful for. And I'm very happy and very privileged. And I understand all of those things. And I just don't want to let one thing take away from all of the different things. And, you know, and, and that comes with so many things in my life where, you know, I look at, 
um, my mother and what's happened to her. And I look at myself and now Zuli, we have three different lives because with my mom, she lost our mom when she was really young and she brings it up to me all the time. And she always tells me how lucky I was to have had my mom around, which is true. Right. Um, And we've really grown through so much as well. And now, you know, Zuli um, is growing up and uh, I mean, she's still very young, but she's very loved by so many people, which is very interesting. And I hope it continues. I feel like I got such a holistic view of your life and the way you think and where you've come from and how you've like um, kind of sifted through it as an adult. You know, it's, it's interesting to hear how you how you process and translate your childhood. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way with books, like especially memoirs. They make me remember stories that I might have otherwise mm-hmm. forgotten, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. I remember um, reading. And this- I think memories are important too. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, ahead, I just remember reading Michelle's book and I was like, how does she remember all that stuff? <laughs> like I could never. I know. <laughs> but- yeah. I, the details were so right. like clear. <laughs> Yeah, you wonder, like, did she make up any of that? Or how many people did she have to interview to, like, get the full story, you know? But I also think memories are, in a way, a translation. You know, it's really because you know that, like, like his history is his story. So Mm -hmm. your memory of that occurrence could be different from the other person that was there. For sure. And that is so interesting. Yeah, my brother and I argue about events all the time. He would say, that's not what happened. (laughs) And I would go, no, trust me. (laughs) You know, that's that's true. And also, I feel like memories, too. Like, if I write down something, like, there are things that stand out to me. It's almost kind of like I'm paraphrasing, right? I'm not going detail by like detail for detail. Like I remember the lady who used to wash our clothes because she used to wash them with her bare hands and she used to deliver them back every Sunday. And I always wondered where she really lived. Like one day I, I like dreamed about following her home. I mean, I would get in trouble and finding where, you know, where she goes to wash our clothes. And her name was Bernadette. And it's kind of weird because this woman passed away a while back and she, I mean, clearly I hadn't seen her for over 25 years, but she's so so ingrained in my memory. And it's kind of like I remembered her smile and kind of like her gums and, and, and her white teeth and, and, and her hairstyle. They were always so simple, you know, with the little braids and, and, and I felt really connected with her. Um, Often because I was just so interested in other people's lives, I wonder, where is it that you go to take these clothes? Like, where do you find the water? Um, how many people, how many families are you helping out with this task? Um, because it must be really hard work because I could tell from her hands, you know, and she meant so much to me. Although she probably just saw me as like the six, seven year old who just got her uniforms back or whatever, or like her clothes. Right. And and I just felt like women like her, um, you know, they work so hard. I'm sure she had children and and they're doing like tedious, hard work. So, anyway, we're there. It. We're at two hours. <laughs> we're doing it. We're there. Um, but Thank you, Paula. Been- yeah thank you for for thinking of me um I always think I don't have much to say but then clearly I talk a lot so (laughs) yeah I mean any mind that thinks has a lot to say but especially a mind that thinks like yours and I think like not to be corny but you do think beautifully you know and I I think that is what affects you know, the things that you say, the pictures that you take. And so um, thank you. We're all very lucky for it. Well, yeah. you're a, a great interviewer and I'm excited thank to you. see what else you do. You know, thank you. I told you that already from the first time I went to your panel at, was it the Riveter? Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so I was so grateful you came, yeah, especially, sure. you know, I know you were going through a lot, so. Yeah, it, was it was fun to get out of the house and to do something new. I want to do more new yeah. things, although right now it's kind of tough. So we'll you got to get really creative. You, got, right you now. really do. You really do. That was creative director, self-taught photographer, color fairy, and founder of FamJam, Paula Mate. You can find Paula on Instagram at findingpaula.com. 
F-I-N-D-I-N-G-P-A-O-L-A, and on the web at FindingPaola.com. FOMJOM is in the midst of transition as the lifestyle brand makes its way to Austin, Texas. You can follow them on Instagram at FOMJOM, F-A-N-M-D-J-A-N-M, and sign up for their newsletter at FOMJOM.com. To read more about Paula's story and see how she glows, visit CamilleStyles.com, linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us. You can connect with us on Instagram at WokeBeauty or me at Riley Blanks and learn more at WokeBeauty.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a lot. Until next time, have a beautiful day, even if it's not that beautiful. <laughs>